welcome to the Data Democracy. Presented by renowned O'Reilly author Ole Olsen Banyu. Empowered by Xenia. Make your data accessible and discoverable by anyone, anywhere, at any time. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ollie. Good to be here today. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you on. Hi, everybody. You're listening to The Data Democracy, and I'm your host, Ole Olsen Banyu. I'm the chief evangelist in Sinea and the author of the Enterprise Data Catalog, published with the Welly. In this podcast, we explore what a data democracy is. And uh, it's something that is very difficult to obtain, so that's what we talk with all the guests about. And today's guest is Ronald Ross. Ron. Ron is co-founder and principal of Business Rule Solutions, where he actively consults. Business Rule Solutions specializes in policy interpretation, business rules, design de- decision design, concept modeling, and business knowledge engineering. Ron is creator of RulesPeak and chairs the Building Business Capability BBC conference, the official conference of the IIBA. Ron's 55-plus year career has consistently featured innovative business-driven solutions. He is recognized internationally as the father of business rules. He is the author of 10 professional books. One of them is Business Knowledge Blueprints, Enabling Your Data to Speak the Language of the Business. And that book has been reviewed in my book's review series, The Data Discovery Library, which you can find on my LinkedIn profile. Ron specializes in disambiguation rules, policy interpretation, structured business vocabulary, concept models, business analysis, data quality, and business knowledge engineering. And so, Ron, it's really a great pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you very much for taking the time. If if you can, uh, how would you summarize your quite extensive and influential career? Well, it's been long, and it's been interesting, and it's been exciting, and it's been frustrating. And oh. when I say frustrating, what I mean is that we see a lot of the same problems we saw when I uh, began back in uh, the, the 1970s. Um, you may not know this, but my very first book was called Data Dictionaries and Data Administration. That, was, that came out in 1980. And so I did a lot of uh, thinking back then about the importance of, of data dictionaries. I don't think I would use that term today, but in terms of, of dictionaries, uh, to give you better access to uh, the knowledge, the data of the organization. So I've uh, been through uh, many uh, changes since then, um, especially with having to do with um data modeling yeah which i always felt was a bit insufficient and that uh, brought me to business rules because that's sort of a missing ingredient uh, in data quality and then from there uh on to concept models and the importance of uh, semantics and uh, linguistics in improving communication and that sounds rather esoteric. It's not at all. It's, it's very basic to our ability to communicate better. 
And so one of the things I hope we'll talk about today is the ability to communicate better um, in a, as a community, uh, which I think is an important ingredient of data democracy. But we'll see about that. Oh, I completely agree. And um, I I think, Ron, that um, one of the elements that you're already touching upon here is that you're mentioning that some of the things that you're working with sound a little esoteric uh, if you just listen to it uh, like for the first time. I must say, I had, to, to be honest, I had a little bit that feeling when I heard, for example, disambiguation the first time. Words like that, that, that send certain signals about, okay, what is this? Uh, once you dive into the universe that, that the intellectual universe that you are unfolding in, in your work, you, you, you very quickly understand that this is not, um, this is not something that has been made up, uh, for the sake of, uh, <laughs> Uh, for, for the sake of doing, uh, let's say, high-end consultancy, this is these these elements that you're working with. They are, as I see it, very very robust, and they are very precise. So, uh, so so I've been quite uh, persuaded by um, by your books and and your thinking. You also <laughs> already mentioned that that. Um, that you're a little frustrated in the sense that many of many of the problems that you encountered in the beginning of your career seem to repeat themselves and have have not really been solved. Can can you expand a little on on that? Well, um, to keep it relatively simple, uh, of course, is the pro proliferation of data redundancy, which just seems inevitable with new each new wave of uh, programming uh, technology programming fads that uh, comes along. And um, the, the lack of a holistic picture of the organization is something that, that's always bothered me. Uh, you know, I understand the need to uh, produce code and get it running and, and uh, satisfy project objectives and so on. But, you know, without a blueprint to work from that adds to the, the whole of the organization, you know, each, each little bit of each little piece that we optimize in some ways almost detracts from uh, our greater ability to make sense of our organization and to guide and lead it in effective uh, directions. Um, so let's see, data redundancy, a uh, holistic view. I, I think it just always comes back to basic communication. Um, you know, let's be frank. Uh, software engineers think that they can talk business a lot of times, and they're quite good because they're very analytical, and and that's that's a requirement for really probing deeply. But in terms of truly grasping the, the meaning, the assumptions, the ambiguities that lie behind what business people say, um, you're never really going to sort those out properly. And, and therefore, your solution's probably not going to deliver what you hoped it would. So I see a lot of those same kind of problems in, in each generation of technology, each generation of even data thinking uh, that comes along. 
mm-hmm. we always try to <clears throat> solve the problem downstream rather than upstream. And if you don't problem, if you don't solve the problem upstream, it just it doesn't get solved. Just taking a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would, I would like to talk about a, a recent uh, engagement that we've had. I think that's quite interesting in this mm-hmm. regard, and I think it goes back to the question of uh, whether you know taking a linguistic approach, taking a semantic approach, taking an ambiguity approach, uh, disambiguation approach is practical or not. We just did a project uh, last month with the uh, with a uh, a company that takes point of sale data from restaurants and processes it in, in order to give back the um, tailored, customized KPIs that uh, the customers want. And they have a very sophisticated software environment that's a hugely configurable, highly agile environment. But the one problem that they haven't really addressed, and, and this was sort of our recommendation, is they haven't addressed the knowledge part of the problem. In essence, what they haven't done in their software solution is deliver knowledge as part of the solution to the community so that the whole community can participate in practical and productive ways. I don't know, that takes us off on a bit of a tangent, but you know, it's something I feel very strongly about. It's an insight that I have about the current generation of uh, methodologies and approaches and Agile and so on and so forth. Yeah, I want to I wanna explore that a little bit because that is actually a very... Um, smooth transition to like contextualizing your career, your work to the topic of this podcast that is data democracy because data democracy at least as I see it and you don't certainly not need to agree a data democracy is, is a state where where anyone can find anything from anywhere at any time in a company so it really is something that should empower everyone to be able to find and work all the kinds of data uh, that exists in the company. And I believe that what you're saying is that certain methodologies, certain technologies, and the constant flux of new generations of programming languages and so forth is 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 putting a barrier to reach that level. We're not we're not addressing certain issues that are or topics, elements that are deeper than the technology itself. No, it's, Am I it's getting like, this right? Or? Yeah, no, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's like running a race, and you know, um, you you think it's a hundred meter dash or you know a mile long dash, but suddenly hurdles are put up that you're not expecting. And so you have to spend a lot of your time and your energy getting over each hurdle as you go along. Um, so it, it's quite disruptive. It, it's understandable because we live in an age of rapid technology evolution, but we get caught up in that and we lose sight of the fact that it's the, it's the business, it's the community that needs to be served 
And so if we don't if we don't support a common language for the whole community, and when I say a common language, I don't mean programming language. I'm I mean natural language, structured natural language with vocabulary attuned to the specific um, product service and knowledge of the organization, then we're not serving the whole community. And to get to your point, if you try to democratize data where everybody who's authorized and qualified has access to data, then if you don't know what the data means and you can't interpret, interpret it because it has no context, it's poorly labeled, um, it, it's not explained. The corporate memory is missing behind it. Um, then you're not going to achieve, I think, the goals that you'd like for the democratization. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something here, Ron. I, I feel like I'm talking to, to a person that has a lot of experience, I've seen these things over several decades, and 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 I feel a little bit <laughs> that your experience um, could confirm a rather uh, negative perception. Not to say in any way that you are negative, but but the accumulated experience that you have tends to indicate that. This is something that repeats itself. So, so in your experience and 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 with your perspective, Ron, what's the what's the best way out of this mess? How do we actually democratize data? How do we how do we get to a state where it's not the software engineers and the short term thinking that dominates, but that serves and supports the business? What's the best way to get there? Huh. Well, the way I like to say it is that the problem is so big that it's hard to see. Um, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. Uh, this particular project that I mentioned um, had a CEO, and uh, she suspected that what the what the overall problem was. She knows she has a good product, um, but that is. Onboarding of new people is very difficult in her environment, not just because the software is so highly configurable and so on, but also because the the why and the wherefore is not being captured and is lost. And the naming is not as crisp and is not as business-friendly as it could be. And, of course, I'm always going to come back to business rules. Um, the business rules are embedded in the software code, and which is fine. It has to be. They have to be supported somewhere. But what that means is you have a somewhat of a black box environment where uh, the programmers can sort of figure out how it works, but the, the business support people and the customers there's no easy way or rationale to explain why it's working. Now, what, I want to put this into context a little bit because I, I don't want to sound critical or cynical or pessimistic. You know, we, we've really only been at this whole problem uh, for a generation. And, and it's really my generation, you know, baby boomer generation 
you know, 45, 50 years, maybe more, 55 years of computerization. And you can't expect to get things perfect in one generation. This is it's not going to happen. And nope. technologies, again, we mentioned that, <clears throat> have evolved, you know, in very important ways. Computing, raw computing power is not, I mean, is, is just unbelievable in terms of what it can do today that it couldn't do 50 years ago. And so the opportunity presents itself both in, culturally within an organization and technology-wise to change and to improve and to ensure that knowledge of all kinds is included in the automated solutions that we deliver. Yes, agreed. And and Ron, you um, you, in my view, also deliver one of the most constructive and uh, well usable uh, pieces of advice in in in, in your book. Business uh, knowledge blueprint. I have it right here. Um, what what struck me? Uh, there was uh, there was a lot of aha moments reading this book for me. Um, what struck me? I think what is most important is is this understanding of business knowledge uh, business knowledge blueprints not being some not being a return to a state. Uh, that existed prior to information technology. It is not something where we're looking at a reality uh, as it pl- as, as it played out intellectually in an analog era. That is not at all what you're thinking it's about when you're trying to get away from technology and data itself. You're trying to, at least at least as I, as I see it, you're trying to move to what to to the thinking that led to the data, because as you're saying, the data is the recording of past events, right? So, so can you elaborate a little bit on the business knowledge blueprints? What what it what it is? Uh, how do how does it work? Just a little bit for the for the listeners, Alan. Sure. Um, I I think the most important thing, uh, and, and I think you said it really well in your book review, and I wish I had thought of that thought that you had uh, in your book review. Uh, so uh, maybe I'll steal that and use it in the future, which is you, you, you described a concept model as essentially what comes before data. Now, I never quite thought of it that way, but yeah. You know, what comes before dang, uh, data? Well, it's language, it, it's knowledge, and it's your ability to talk about knowledge. And with today's hugely rich knowledge products, you know, every company, I mean, even if it's a pizza business, you know, their products are far richer than, than you might think. It depends on your ability to communicate and talk about it in understandable and precise ways so that you can formulate policies uh, to to operate effectively, to avoid risk, to support customers in the best possible way. It, it all depends on that capacity. And yet 
that doesn't have anything to do directly with the data. So events happen in the business, and of course, you have to record the events that happen in the business of various kinds. And I'm using the word event here in a very broad, general sense. And that results in data. Now, in designing that data, which direction should you come at it from? Should you come at it from the technology side, you know, the relational database side? You know, you get the physical, you get the the logical data model, and even conceptual data model. Or should you approach it from a semantic or linguistic, and I wish there was a simple word to say this, you know, a business-friendly, communication-oriented approach that tries to, comes to grips with the very vocabulary that business people use to talk about and to shape the knowledge and the behavior uh, which is relevant in and applying the knowledge. And I think it's obvious that it's come from the former. It's just not the way we've ever looked at the problem because, again, the problem is so big that it's hard to see. And, And that's just, you know, we've been trying to exploit technology for solutions for 50 years and and I think we can have the luxury now, and I kind of envy the next generation of stepping back and saying, hey, wait a minute, Let, let's again look at this as a business problem, a community problem, um, you know, a, a, a democratization problem, and ensure that the business people and the customers and everybody else who's involved in the community can be more effective as knowledge workers. And, and that's where I'm at. And, and I, I sort of um, appreciate your uh, your book review and, uh, you know, the podcast in the sense has given me the opportunity to, to see that in, in somewhat of a new perspective than, than I had looked at it. Oh, thank you, Ron. Uh, thank you. It's quite an honor to, to get a compliment from you. But, uh, yes, uh, it's, it's, your, it's your book and your thinking that made me, um, that made me think this. Um, I have to say, to 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 elaborate even more, I think uh, you also mentioned this in the book, but but just to to emphasize it, I I think that these business knowledge blueprints they are they are they are like atoms, right? I mean, they are so solid. If if you build them, if you understand them, and if you take good care of these business knowledge blueprints. You can have an ever-changing technology landscape. It doesn't really matter. I can prove that to you. Oh, and, please and do I, that. That's, that's can, very interesting. I can prove it to you by means of a story of a client. And this is an absolutely true story, and I'm very proud of this. We've been doing concept models now uh, for almost 20 years. Um, we used to call them fact models because they ero- originally arose from the work of um, Sheer Neeson and uh, Terry Halpin and so on. Um, but be that as it may, um, we had a client uh, about uh, 15 years ago in the um, ship inspection business. It's not anything that I knew about. And one of the, the, the strange features of my job is that every business I go into is almost new and I don't know anything about it, which in some ways is actually an advantage if you're trying to learn the vocabulary and understand the, you know, the, the knowledge. But anyway, 
they inspect ships for safety so that ships could be uh, insured. And uh, they found our, our approach and methodology and used it on one of their uh, re-engineering uh, projects for software that was supporting the classification of vessels. And I won't go into the details about classification of vessels, but that's what, that's what you need if you're uh, a merchant organization to get your vessels insured. And so we developed a very comprehensive concept model. And along with, you know, the business rules to go for it, they use that in their generation of new generation of software, their new platform and so on. And we're, we're quite happy with it. And then we didn't hear from the client for over 10 years. And, and this is what happens. You know, you, 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 you have, you know, a very positive, constructive relationship in, in the consulting business with, with clients. And then you, you leave and you sort of wonder what, what happened. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years later, out of the blue, this client called me. And said, you've got to come into our offices tomorrow. And I thought, oh, no. What did we do? What happened? We're going to be sued. Who knows? Um, Fortunately, this client was in town, so all I had to do was drive across town. Um, And so the next day, I walked into the office and into the boardroom, not quite knowing what to expect. And there on the boardroom, the mahogany boardroom table of the executive suite was a printout of the concept model that we had developed 10 years earlier. Now, you know, this was a ship inspection thing. So it had the big, huge, nice plotters, which was kind of nice so they could plot it all out nicely. And they said, We've looked at the current generation of uh, the the current iteration of the software and the system. It's maxed out in its capacity. Um, we we have to re-engineer it, and we've decided the only artifact, the only thing that we can salvage from the existing environment from ten years earlier, ten or twelve years earlier, is the concept model, because it is still ninety percent accurate after the 10 or 12 years. And so then I started to relax a little bit and feeling a little bit better. And then, but, you know, me being me, I, I got a little, and then so I had to ask, well, what's the 10% that's not still accurate? And, and the answer was, well, we've added a few peripheral new areas that we didn't support originally. Um, and so they were sort of on the side that could be attached into the con. They weren't, it wasn't a disruption of the core structure. And so what that proved to me is that the core business knowledge, as long as you stay in the same business, um, doesn't evolve that, that quickly because this is the stuff you have to talk. Business people have to talk about day in and day out. I mean, they're still out there inspecting vessels, inspecting ships and so on. Now, in 10 years, there's all sorts of new vessels, new kinds of vessels, you know, oil platforms and, and hospital ships and all that they hadn't done before. But that's just variation on themes that have already been structured and established and can easily be incorporated. Now, that's real agility. 
in the long term. That's not short-term agility. That's yeah. agility in the long run that covers generations. And that, I think, is the point of a business knowledge blueprint, is to give you that core stability because it's based on the knowledge of the space that you're in as a business. Wow. <laughs> it's a little difficult to... Uh... To get back on that one run, it's a it's a fantastic experience, and um, well, it was rewarding, yeah. you know, because it's it's not often that you know you you can come back and say, "Aha!" Now, this wasn't software that persisted for ten years. You know, the software maxed out, and there's a new new generation that they had to move migrate to, et cetera, et cetera. So it wasn't the software that persisted; it was the core knowledge blueprint of the organization. So I wouldn't call that esoteric at all. I would call that pretty basic business engineering. Yeah, agreed. 100% agreed. I have worked as, as an enterprise architect and I've been a leader of data and information management teams and, and a specialist of trying to map both records and data. And, and it's always this hassle of getting back to something prior to what you're looking at in a system mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. trying to think okay what what led to all this where did it come from mm -hmm. and then if you can obtain that and i have not seen something as precise as the idea of a business knowledge blueprint if you can obtain that how can you open up how can you actually make people in the organization aware of this, make them consume it and, and use it in, in technology projects, but also in their daily work for better decision-making and so forth. Yeah, I, I think it gives you a more holistic view of the organization so that you can avoid some silos, you know, uh, siloization, yeah. if that's the word. Um, yeah. And... Uh, um, simply get everybody on the same page, uh, you know, work-wise, which it seems like to me is an important part of being a community. And then in turn, being a community, feeling like a community, working like a community, speaking like a community is an important part of democratization. So no. I may be wrong about that because that's really not my area. But I will add one thing to it, and, and that's an important thing for us, which is no community works effectively without rules. So just because we can get everybody speaking the same language, unless they also agree to and understand the importance of the rules for shaping the knowledge and the shaping behavior, um, they're not going to produce the, the most collective productive result that they could, in my yeah. view. So there's responsibility is the other side of democratization. Now, by the way, I'm just making this up. So if it's, <laughs> if it's off target for you, just delete it from the interview. But it, oh, seems, it, seems, it sounds right. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it does, and it does so because, first of all, it's it's. I can resist finding this very very interesting, but but um, 
but more so I think that a data democracy is not something that we have fully explored yet. I mean, no. we're talking about data democracy um, in 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 this podcast, uh, in, in in a couple of white papers and books, but but really, what has been mentioned a lot is data democratization. That more and more people can do more and more stuff with data. But just as we began talking about in this conversation when we started talking, <clears throat> many of the problems that we face today are the same as uh, one, two, three, four decades ago. And I think we need to look, instead of just talking about more people being able to do more stuff with data, we need to look beyond that. We need to define, okay, if we're democratizing data, what does it actually mean? What is a data democracy, right? right. So I have part of the answer, but I do not intend to have the entire answer. That is why I I invite uh, uh, guests for a talk that, that has something to say on the matter. So, so I'm well, very thankful. I would mention my more recent book. So let me just yeah. bring that up, which is Rules. And that ties into what I'm saying is because there's no free lunches in in democracy. And mm -hmm. I, I think, I mean, let's, let's stay away from politics, but <laughs> I, there is some real problem with um, people not fully appreciating that responsibility is the other side of having free access and having free speech and having free whatever. Um, so you have to be rule-based in order to achieve it. That's, that's my feeling. So it's, it's not surprising. I think that the other side of the coin, the other, the, the other book that, that I would write has to do with rules, uh, for shaping knowledge and behavior, uh, beyond and above just the, um, the, the business knowledge blueprint. So that leaves me with I have I have a couple of questions and, and then I think we should uh, wrap it up. But um, speaking of rules, uh, it's it's a question, but it's it's two question. First of all, one would you for the listeners just very briefly define uh, what a business uh, rule is, and then secondly, uh, as a follow up question. Uh, to what degree do you think business rules could be considered similar to the laws that we have in a democracy, but just the kind of laws for a data democracy? A business rule, in our view, is a criteria for guiding behavior or shaping knowledge. So essentially, what a business rule does is it removes some degree of freedom from either your activity, your actions, your behavior as part of an organization, or it provides constraints on the correctness or the integrity of what you say. And, and I say it that way because, as we said before, what you say comes before the data that's produced from what you say. So eventually, that ends up as, as data integrity constraints. But I don't say it that way because it's important to understand they are part of the 
the vocabulary. They're part of the semantics. They're part of the knowledge of the organization because it shapes the, the, the understandability, the validity, the consistency of the knowledge. And so, you know, a rule, just the common sense of a rule. I mean, you, you look at the rules of sport, you know, you look at the, the rules of football. Um, rules, you know, or we know what rules are. And yes, um, in society, we have rules. And, you know, it's laws, constraints, restrictions, um, regulations, and so on. And we live within those because in the West, we, we choose to live in a rule-based society. So we choose to live in a rule-based society. And so what that means is that what governs decisions are transparent. You know, it's it's not capricious. It's not, you know, someone who just makes up the rules as they go along. You know why decisions are made. You know why things are shaped the way they are. And I think that's very important for establishing a sense of, of uh, belonging, a, a sense of citizenship. And so if we talk about a data democracy, I think we have to emphasize what is it that makes you feel like a citizen of the democracy. And, and it's not just access, that's very important, but it's also your responsibility in terms of improving and in terms of supporting the democracy. Um, and uh, that comes down to rules and, and, and following certain rules. Not a free lunch. There's no free lunches. Agreed. No free lunch. Uh, thank you for uh, elaborating here. Okay, so the last question I have for you, Ron, is um, you've had a long career, more than 45 years. You've seen a lot of things, had a lot of experiences with various technologies and an array of companies. If you go back 45, 50 years from, uh, in the past and, and try to 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 think as 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 the run back then did did you envision your career play out as as, as it did i wish i could say i had a grand plan i, I don't think i had a grand plan but I, I think i was just always in some sense after the right answers and when i say right answers i mean um what is both uh academically sound and what is pragmatically uh, workable because that that's what you need for solutions. And so when we established our company, Business Rule Solutions, um, we had two main principles that we wanted to uh, follow, one of which, of course, was that we wanted to support business rules, which we think for reasons we've discussed are important. Um, but the other was we wanted to be business-driven in the sense that we really seriously were not going to let the technology dictate the approach. And that that's proven to us, although, um, you know, maybe we could, our company could have been 10 times bigger, 100 times bigger. I don't care because I don't think I would have enjoyed that as much. Mm. But it's given us the opportunity to connect with some very thoughtful people and some very nice people all over the world, in fact, 
Yeah, we're we're very proud of some of our clients in New Zealand because you'd be surprised what a high quality uh, professional standard is uh, they they have in New Zealand, and and so they've been some of the most forward thinking of all our company. And we've been in almost every industry you can think of. I mean, I, I would challenge you. There are a few that we haven't been in. But we we've been in almost in every industry you can think of, which really helps understand the, the commonalities across different companies. And, and you can lose sight of that because you can think, oh, we're on our own little world, and what we do mm-hmm. is so different from everybody else. Oh, but yeah. I got I got to tell you, in some respects, yes, it's different. But in a lot of respects, everybody has the same problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't speak from the same level of experience, but it's definitely also um, my feeling uh, and and my experience having worked in a couple of industries. Um, I I recognize, uh, I, I definitely recognize that. And I have one more thing to add to that, which is the the technology sector needs to step up to the right products that organizations really need in order to move into the knowledge age. And so far they haven't done that. I can understand they're driven by uh, profit. They're driven by, you know, fads they are driven by whatever, but come on, you know, with, with machines as powerful as they are today, it's so much better uh, what we could do if we had the right tools. I'm going to leave that as the closing remark because it's not that I haven't agreed in, in, in what you've said so far, but I, I very, very deeply uh, believe uh, that tech companies should do exactly that. I've been struggling uh, very much in all my career, especially as an enterprise architect with exactly this problem. With all the money, all the capabilities in these companies. I mean, look at, the, look at the money that's being thrown into LLMs, mm-hmm. which are are amazing. I, I'll give you that. And I, I can't think of a lot of uh, use cases. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot, of, a lot of very interesting things about it. But my goodness, if, if some of those resources had been thrown into actually revolutionizing our use of natural language um, to build systems directly so that everybody could be a participant and we don't have this priesthood of programmers who sort of uh, you know, drive things in a lot of organizations, we'd be so much better off. I don't know if you want to include that thought in the I'll, I'll let you be the judge of that. It's a little caustic. I, I love it. The, the priesthood of programmers, I think it will even become the title of the episode. I don't know, but it's it's a wonderful, wonderful phrase. And um, it's definitely um, it's definitely something that I hope we will, uh, we will address uh, in the next couple of decades uh, yes. in, the, in the global tech community. Uh, Ron, it's been a, a, a true pleasure having you on. I hope we get to chat more in the future. Uh, I will read more of your books. I recommend every listener of this podcast to read your books. They are excellent and much needed 
in in a very uh, crowded, noisy, uh, confused global data community. They stand out as clear-cut, simple, useful books. Thank you very much for those and for your experience and sharing your thoughts here today. One, thank you. For oh, being that's on. that's that's very kind of you to say because I've always thought that it's important to record what you know in the best way you possibly can for the benefit of others. I guess that sort of is part of democracy too, in the, in a way. It definitely should be. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very thank you. much. Appreciated the invitation and the time spent with you. Yeah, likewise, Ron. This was uh, this was. I'm very happy that you took the time, and uh, yeah, this was really really fun. Hi there. Okay, so here are my takeaways from my conversation with uh, Ron Ross, the author of Business Knowledge Blueprints. First of all, some data leader takeaways. The first takeaway is that you should remember that data is the result of something, of an activity, something that was prior to the registration of that activity registered in data. And so my second takeaway, as you remember that, that activity is captured uh, using language that has semantics. That is what results in data, but you should understand language in order to understand data. And that, therefore, as a data leader means, and this is the third uh, takeaway, uh, that you should focus on the long-term preservation of your data landscape by implementing business knowledge blueprints. And some data democracy takeaways, also free takeaways. The first one, you should dismantle the priesthood of programmers, as Ross so uh, succinctly called them. Uh, simply because tech alone will not democratize data. And so second, my second takeaway is data can only be democratized if we understand and describe its origin, uh, what created it. And finally, my third takeaway here is that business knowledge blueprints will empower you to preserve your data uh, landscape as you change the technology that supports it. So a true democracy is enabled with the help of business knowledge blueprints that puts you in charge of when and why you change the technology that supports your business. Thank you for listening.